You're listening to the Cougar Talk Podcast, hosted by Dylan McMinn and Chris Isaacson. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Cougar Talk Podcast, your weekly podcast where we talk all things BYU football and all things college football. I'm your host, Dylan, and joining me today is my good friend, Chris. Chris, how have you been since our tough loss against Texas? I've been doing all right. I mean, going in, we didn't really expect to beat Texas, but uh, we played football. We were on the field for 60 minutes, and it's always fun watching BYU play. So doing all right. Excited to get for looking forward to another Big 12 matchup this week. Absolutely. That's that's something that I've just loved already this season is even if we have a game where we lose, no matter what, even if it's an expected loss, even if it is disappointing with this with an expected loss, it's still just so great being able to look forward to another Big 12 matchup directly afterwards. We do have a good one coming up against West Virginia this week. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to go over what we saw from the Texas game. We'll go over what we are seeing coming up with the West Virginia game and everything in between. But to start, I feel like we should give a huge shout out actually to a team that we have not talked about on this podcast before. And that's an oversight by us entirely. But we need to give a huge shout out to the BYU women's soccer team. They just won in the Big 12 semifinals for conference championship. They are moving on to the Big 12 conference championship. They play against Texas on Saturday. So we'll see if they can get some revenge for our football team. If they win, that would be fantastic winning the Big 12 in our first year. Even if they don't win, though, it is still looking like they might be a one seed for the NCAA tournament for women's soccer. So huge shout out to them. They've been crushing it this year. They've looked like a very complete team almost every single game. So they're super fun to watch. I've really enjoyed watching them. I believe you can catch all their games on ESPN+. Plus. So super big shout out to them. They're crushing it, and we wish them the best of luck this Saturday. Yeah, and it is kind of unfortunate that we haven't talked about them yet. I actually went to a women's soccer game, the one against UCLA earlier in the season, like the first week that I moved to BYU, and it was one of the most electric times, electric sports games I've ever been to at BYU. So women's soccer is a very exciting team. They're going to be super fun to watch in the tournament, and I hope they take it all the way because they are a dang good team. They're legit, man. They deserve all the praise. They are, like you said, super fun to watch, you know, A lot of credit can go to The Rock for making that an electric environment, like you said, but also they give The Rock a huge reason to be there and to cheer loud. So love shouting them out. I'm jealous that you've been able to get to their games. I haven't been able to get to one. I don't think ever. I think I've only ever been to BYU football and basketball games, but that's on me. I got to get out to a soccer game next season, hopefully. Now, as always, we also like starting out each episode with shout outs to Cougs in the pros former BYU players who are killing it in the league. So to kick off, I want to go ahead and give my shout out to one of the more recent guys who just came out of BYU, and that is our very own Jaron Hall. Now, I'm a little bit biased here. Jaron's probably my favorite Coug in the pro right now just because he's gone out of his way to get me assigned football. He's just an awesome guy. He's, he's just one of those dudes that is genuinely just a great person. So I love seeing him find any type of success. And I want to bring up just a little bit about this situation that he's found himself in right now. So Jaron Hall is officially QB2 for the Vikings. And as we all know, or if you didn't know, 
Kirk Cousins, the starting quarterback for the Vikings, actually tore his Achilles this past week. Jaron stepped up, took over the game just for a little bit there towards the end. He was 3 for 4 for passing for 23 yards. He was sacked one time, but overall he had a pretty good game just stepping up and being ready for the Vikings to get a win over the Packers. Now, they did also just announce a trade where the Vikings traded for, I believe it was Joshua Dobbs from the Cardinals, but they have announced that Jaron is still going to be the starter this week, even with that recent trade. So we want to give a huge shout out to Jaron Hall. He's getting his first NFL start this week. It's against the Atlanta Falcons, so he's going up against former teammate Tyler Algier, and we just wish him nothing but the best. Hoping that he goes out, seems confident, and can really lead the Vikings to a win and keep their momentum going that they've built up the past few weeks. So that's going to be my big shout out there. Love it for Jaron. Love that he's getting this opportunity and really hope that he takes advantage of it. Now, Chris, I'm curious, do you have anybody else that you would want to shout out from this past week for the NFL? Yeah, for Cougs and the pros, I'm actually going to stick with the quarterback room. We have both Taysom Hill and Zach Wilson. I'll start with Taysom Hill. He ended up on the day having 44 passing yards, 14 receiving yards, and 63 rushing yards with two rushing touchdowns as well. So he was a massive X factor for the Saints in their win this last week. And when Taysom touches the ball, it's always an electric time. He's always getting yards. He's always smiling after running a guy over. And it's nice to see the Saints be able to use him every now and then and him really impact games that way. And then Zach Wilson, his day overall wasn't great. We It seems like we have this conversation a lot where his overall numbers aren't great, but he always does something or he always does just enough to get the Jets the win. And in this case, it was 24 seconds left in the game. He ended up having two passes down the field, each of more than 20 yards, gets them into field goal range, spikes it with one second left, ties the game up, and they go and win it in overtime. And so you can look at the stats, and if you look at them, you might think, okay, he's kind of, he's okay. He's not doing anything special. But the Jets are winning football games, and he is a big part of it in a lot of these games. So Zach Wilson continuing to do do his thing, continuing to get wins. So just shouting him out again for an especially good performance these last, the last minute of his last game. Yeah, that, that ending of that game was kind of shades of BYU versus Tennessee a couple seasons ago where we're just driving the field with seconds left, no timeouts. He did what was needed. And here here's the thing, too, is in that game, the Jets had absolutely no rushing offense whatsoever. I think they were at like less than two yards per carry in their running game. It was a very rainy game. It was just a weird situation overall. Zach went through three different centers playing in that game due to injuries that were sustained during the game. So it was just a very weird situation. So I I do think that this is one of those games where the stat sheet doesn't tell you the whole story of how good he really did. Um, I can't remember exactly who it was. There was an analyst on Twitter, someone who said, you know, based off what they were seeing on Twitter, not watching the game live, they would have assumed Zach did terrible. And then when he watched the game back himself, he thought Zach did great given the circumstances. He was very impressed. So, you know, big shout out to Zach. Like you said, he did what was needed to get that win. And it's always good to see him keep that momentum rolling for the Jets, who might have the pickiest fan base in the world. They are very difficult to please. Now, moving on from Cougs and the Pros, we also want to start today's episode off with our new segment that we began last week, which we call Biased Opinions. In this segment, we are going to take whatever type of debate or conversation we are seeing going on on Twitter, and we're going to add our biased opinions to it. 
that's what a podcast is for us. It's a way for us to get our opinions out there. And so we're not going to hide it. We have our opinions. They are going to be biased, and we're going to talk about them. It's time for Biased Opinion. So last week, if you missed it, we talked actually about Mark Pope, you know, the recruiting losses that he's had recently. There was even one today as we're recording this. We had a in-state player, an in-state player from Alta commit to Utah. A lot of overreactions to that one there. So we talked about it a little bit. If you missed that, our standing is Mark Pope is still the guy for BYU. A lot of his recruiting efforts are going overlooked because of so much focus on in-state or LDS guys. So we're missing the guys that he really is landing consistently. And his his recruiting really has been very good. We just need to give him some time. It's still a very young team. So I think our standing on that is still the same here. Thought we would throw this in just right at the beginning because it is very relevant right now on Twitter. But a new topic for this week that I have seen talked about a ton especially where we are getting some game times announced for future games like an 8 to 8 15 p.m kickoff against iowa state and this is the topic of the byu vampires so if you are not familiar with this whole conspiracy superstition there is a lot of there's actual a lot of proof i guess the numbers do stand by it but there's a lot of concern about BYU in the day versus BYU at night. We always seem to perform so much better in our night games, whether that's through scheduling, through motivation, through environment, whatever it is, there are numbers behind us performing better in night games. So our topic today is, do we buy into that? Is the BYU vampires actually a thing? Is it coincidence? Is it an actual thing that we should be concerned about like many people are on Twitter. So Chris, I'm curious, what are your opinions on this? Do you buy into the BYU vampires? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting topic because I don't think the players or anything actually buy into that as like, Oh, we can't play during the day, but there is way too much evidence to suggest that it's not a factor. There's no way that you can have such a, huge disparity between the games at night and the games during the day without something being different between them and so i think as fans and as observers of the game you do take that into account a little bit you do kind of expect byu to play better at nights now and even though the players and coaches probably prepare the exact same there is some truth to it that we play better at night and that there probably is a reason why even if we don't know what that is yet so personally, I do kind of buy into the idea of the BYU Vampires, and I'm excited we're getting more night games because then we don't have to worry about it affecting us negatively at all. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm kind of on the same page as you here. My opinion is, you know, I am buying into it. I think it's Michael Scott on The Office that says, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. I, there, there is a little bit of something there for me as well. You know, it could be how we are preparing for these games, maybe just our game day what what would you call it rituals are things that we do each day our rhythm is thrown off a little bit from an earlier kickoff whatever it is there definitely is something there so i'm kind of at the same page there i do buy into that and as you mentioned the players and coaches will never admit to that themselves um i think it was max Tooley in media availability this week he said specifically he doesn't buy into that but he does get excited to play at night 
So, so to me, that that's kind of expected there for them to not entirely buy into it. You're never going to want your team to say, oh yeah, we don't play good during the day, even though that might be the truth. However, my favorite thing recently was on Halloween, the BYU social media accounts posted some almost AI looking created image of Cosmo, a cougar in the dark just for Halloween. But it said, embrace the dark or embrace the night, something like that. And to me, I thought that was pretty funny. Just play on the idea of the BYU vampires. And look, honestly, I don't love what it brings up for us in our day games. I don't love that. It makes everybody assume we're going to lose and play bad because I do think that does have an effect on the team as well. But on the same point, as we're getting these night games scheduled, they announced West Virginia being a 5 p.m. kickoff. That game will go into the night. They announced Iowa State being an 8.15 p.m. kickoff. Everybody is so excited and hyped up for these games being at night. So we get to BYU Vampires instead. So to me, I'm like, you know what? Let's play into this a little bit. Let's give into the idea of being the BYU Vampires and try to use it as an advantage. You know, going into Iowa State specifically, it's a home game. Let's get the crowd locked in on the idea of it being a night game. We're going to play so much better at night. We're going to have our best shot at winning because it's later kickoff. So I buy into it too, and let's go ahead and take advantage of this and use it. And with biased opinions finished up, we get into the meat of the episode here. We have our, first of all, we've got the review of the Texas game. So kind of some initial thoughts here. It was a little bit underwhelming, and I know we were playing a top 10 team. I know Texas is a great team. And I know that there have been people talking about whether or not it's okay to be upset after a game like a game against Texas, against a top 10 team. But there were things that we would have loved to see more. We lose 35-6. to We don't score a touchdown despite having a few chances in the red zone and kind of up close to the goal line. And so there was a lot that was left to be desired. But one thing that stood out to me was that the defense did come to play. The defense played very well. We had the goal line stand with Jacob Robinson making an incredible play to make a tackle throw a block forced a couple turnovers, and we never really felt that out of it until like the end of the fourth quarter when they started to put us away. Was that kind of something that you thought about as well, or did you have anything else that stood out to you that you really liked from last week despite losing pretty big there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very easy to look at the defense as a bright spot this season, it feels like, because we are also comparing it to last season's defense. Last season's defense very well could have allowed Texas to score 70 points, That's just how much we, I think, are seeing improvement this season. Um, But with that said, you know, one other big bright spot that I do want to point out, other than the goal line stands, the turnovers, those things keeping us in the game, was also specifically Siali Acera. He really stepped up in this game. He's a freshman. He's starting to get his rhythm, find his spot on this team. And he actually had a very good impact for us this last week against Texas. Um, Looking at the stat sheet here, at the end of the game, he had eight tackles, one tackle for loss. So he was making his impact. He was playing very well for our linebacking core, who is already a little bit depleted due to injury with Ben Bywater specifically. He was doing great alongside AJ and Max Tooley. So that was a big bright spot for me. And I love seeing that, especially against a good team like Texas. And that's the nice thing with these matchups against, you know, a top 10 team is, you know, we are a little bit disappointed because of lackluster play, but it does also make the good play by us feel a little bit more emphasized as well. So 
I, I love seeing that from Ciali, and I hope to see it more throughout the rest of the season and just going into next season as well as he builds up his builds up his experience, his momentum, all those good things. And, you know, he's he's going to be a big player for our future in Big 12. But but like I mentioned, you know, there are some bright spots that we can take away from this game. And even though it was a game against a top 10 team, as you mentioned, it is still pretty disappointing. And it's very easy to be disappointed when your defense is playing great and giving you every shot you need to stay in a game and you're just not capitalizing. So let's go over that a little bit now, switch gears and talk about what kind of did not go right. So so to me, you know, you brought up the defense came to play. For me, the off- offense was the opposite. They did not show up ready to play, it felt like. You know, specifically, we had those turnovers that the defense caused, and we didn't capitalize off them. And some specific situations that I do want to point out that really I think were the difference makers here, that it because we didn't capitalize, it really made a difference in this game. First of all, we had an interception. Crew Wakely started the game with a good interception. We brought pressure on the Texas quarterback. He made a very terrible throw, and it was just an easy interception for Crew Wakely. And after that interception, Keaton throws an interception. And then we force a fumble. Isaiah Banya gets into the backfield, gets a strip sack on the quarterback. And after that forced fumble, we have a longer sustained drive. We get it all the way to the two-yard line. We stall out a little bit. And then we have fourth and goal from the Texas two-yard line. We end up taking a timeout. Then we take a delay of game and we kick a field goal instead of going for it. And without going too much on a tangent there, I think we should have gone for a touchdown there. Um, I'm not sure if you agree on that one. But to me, that's where you got to go for a touchdown at the two-yard line. you got to be able to get more points than just a field goal there. And then we force a three and out to start the second half. Our defense shows up. We have a good defensive standing. And then we have another long drive after that that stalls out at the end for a field goal. Then we have that goal line stand. You mentioned Jacob Robinson makes an incredible play. Immediately after that, we have a three and out. We have another goal line stand. Immediately after that, Keaton throws an interception. Then we cause another three and out with holding Texas to negative three yards gained on that drive. And that's immediately followed by Keaton Slovis fumble. So as you can see, our defense was stepping up and making the plays that are supposed to win you games, but our offense wasn't capitalizing. And, you know, granted, some of those were after the goal line stands. So we were already back in our own territory. But when you're turning the ball over rather than just having a three and out, that's going to kill you in the end. So I'm curious, Chris, do you do you have anything you want to add to the capitalization? Anything specifically you think kind of went wrong with that? Anything specifically that you feel like could have been changed to prevent that outcome? I'm curious what your thoughts are on this topic. Yeah, just kind of emphasizing some things you said. Obviously, we weren't able to capitalize. It felt like I feel like we're trying to get things going, but we're not really going about it in the right way, in my opinion, at least. Obviously, I'm not a coach. I can't say for sure. But our very first drive, we come out, we throw behind the line of scrimmage to Ray Paulo for a one-yard loss. We throw it short into double coverage to Isaac Rex for an incompletion. And then we try and throw it to the far hash on the boundary on like a 15-yard out route that was just a next-to-impossible throw to make. And that kind of sums up the entire offense is we just we'll either throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage, we'll keep it at the line of scrimmage, or we'll try a deep ball or some kind of big shot play that 
more often than not doesn't end up going well for us. I really want to see BYU throw the ball between five and 10 yards in the air, just get quick slants, get little crossing routes across the middle, things like that to kind of get the offense momentum, get some yardage, and then you can run the ball for two, three yards and it's okay because you're in a second and five, a, a third and two. Like You get yourself into better positions to be able to open up your offense more. We've talked about it a lot, how we run the ball a lot on first and long, second and long, things like that. And it puts us in third and long more often than not. We're one of the worst teams in the FBS in terms of third down distance to go. And I think if BYU is able to start getting completions of shorter yards, where they're throwing the ball past the line of scrimmage and letting guys run, getting guys the ball in space, that the offense is going to be a lot more successful. But until we see things like that, our drives are going to stall out. We're not going to be able to capitalize on turnovers. And we're going to kind of be letting the defense down by not staying on the field. And so it really does just emphasize everything you were saying there. You pretty much nailed it on the head. But if I were to change things, that's exactly where I would go there, is try and get short, simple yards and move the ball just enough to keep momentum going for you. Absolutely. And that's kind of a great segue into some of the takeaways that we have from this past week. And my first takeaway, just based off what you talked about there, is our offense is very easy to stop and it's very predictable. It feels like we are taking the same game plan every single week. And genuinely, I think I could find success as a defensive coordinator against this offense. And I am not a great football mind. I don't understand football nearly as much as you do, Chris, nearly as much as a lot of other people. But I feel like I can always predict what our offense is going to come out with every single game. So that's that's one of my big takeaways is that we're very easy to stop on offense and it's just getting so predictable. And I don't know if that's because our hands are tied due to injuries or who's available. I don't know if that's just stubbornness in our play calling. I don't know if that's decisions made by players specifically in the moment. But whatever it is, like you talked about, it's got to change there. We've talked about this before. We even talked about it last week. We kind of need that change in identity in our offense. Otherwise, we're just going to keep having these drives stall out and we're not going to find success as an offensive unit. Yeah, I like that takeaway a lot because the offense does feel pretty one-dimensional right now. And obviously with the rushing game not being a strong suit, it is hard to be unpredictable and the mix looks up. But there are still things that the offense can do to become better than Iowa, which we all know Iowa is a great team. They are not known for their offense. BYU is very similar to them in a lot of offensive categories. And it's fun to see some of the graphics that kind of compare us to them because that's how it kind of feels watching them this year. So that is... All respect to Iowa, but no one is attempting to be like their offense. Uh, but going along with Iowa there, our defense will give us a shot to win any game as long as they're healthy and as long as they're playing how they can. We've seen the defense this year force a lot of turnovers. We've mostly limited the other team's abilities to gain a lot of yards, and we've just played overall good enough to win. It hasn't been perfect, and at times it hasn't been pretty but the defense has always kept us in games. And with this game, it was no different. It was honestly, it was 21 to three for a lot of the game. It was, we could have scored one touchdown and gotten ourselves right back in it. They didn't, Texas didn't get very much going early on in this game and gave BYU a lot of chances to get back into it with our interception return and things like that. And so it's been exciting to watch the defense and just knowing that even when we play a top 10 team, we still have opportunities to get the offense going and stay in that game. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something I've said before the season is, you know, I've I've started to get the impression that our defense is going to allow us to hang with any team. And this week kind of proved that to me. We were up against a top 10 team at their home stadium, a very hostile environment, and our defense gives us that shot like you mentioned it. You know, you mentioned it before specifically. It felt like it was all the way up until the very end of the fourth quarter that it felt like we had a chance in this game before they pulled away with it. And that that is all because of the defense specifically. So our defense is going to give us a shot in any of these games. We just got to take advantage of that. But to me, this also gives me a lot of hope and a lot of excitement about our future teams. You know, it's very easy to just focus on this season. It's our first season in the Big 12. Of course, we want success here. But we also want to set up our future in this Big 12. And I think this year is giving us plenty reason to be excited with that with our defense specifically. You know, we're finding success at a five-deep spot at our safety with Crew Wakely, who's having a good season overall. And he's a walk-on transfer who, before the season, we weren't really expecting to be getting meaningful minutes very much this season. And now he's starting for us. And the fact that we're finding so much success at that much depth with our defense should give us all reasons to be excited for our defense in upcoming seasons and even just directly next year. And like I mentioned before with our young guys, with Ciali Acera, guys that are stepping up and making these plays and showing that they can be these weapons and these tools that we need them to be for future teams and even for this year, making that immediate impact. Now with that, let's go ahead and move on to our players of the game from both sides of the ball. And since we're on the topic of defense, let's start with the defense. Who was our defensive player of the game? So to me, I it's kind of down to two people. So I'll go ahead and just give it to one, but then of course I'll shout out the other. To me, I think we got to give it to Crew Wakely. He really stepped up last week as a starter. You know, he did get injured a little bit at, towards the end of the game, but from what I've seen, he is all good to go this week. So that's good to hear. But on the day, he had nine total tackles, three of them solo tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, a pass deflection, and an interception. So he really stepped up for the defense. He had a great day against a good Texas offense. And then, of course, that shout-out I also want to give to CLA Sarah. I already talked a little bit about the impact he had on the game. But he, he's an honorable mention for me for the defensive player of the game. Both of those dudes really played great, and it was super fun to watch them on this defense this past week against Texas. Yeah, absolutely. The player of the game on the defense was for sure Crew Wakely, in my opinion. He has been stepping up a lot as of late. I remember at the start of the year when I first saw him, I was like, oh, who is this guy? Like, I'm, I don't want to see him on the field. I want the starters out there. And every single week, he's continued to improve and continue to impress me, so... I am. I'm a Crew Wakely fan. I like everything that he's been doing. Uh, last week he had what could have been two interceptions, and he dropped both of them. This week he finally got on the board with one of them there. So, I think he's been making a really good impact, and I think he's going to keep being a good player for us at least the rest of the year. And he's going to have a big impact on this defense. You know, admittingly, I talked about this last week. I I've been wrong about Crew Wakely. I wasn't thrilled like like you pointed out. I wasn't thrilled to see him on the field. You never want to see your starters go out, but he has proven me personally wrong and I love that. I want him to keep doing that because that means our defense is finding success. But now switching to the other side of the ball. Um this this one was a little bit harder to come up with because our offense did struggle quite a bit in this game. 
But of course, just like always, we do want to give an offensive player of the game for this game as well. So, Chris, I'm curious, who do you think deserves that offensive player of the game this past week? Yeah, so I I know kind of the one person that really deserves it. So I'm going to shout out a secondary player, first of all, and I'll let you take that one. I'm going to give Aiden Robbins some love here. Uh, I know that he only rushed for three yards per carry, 17 carries, 56 yards, and no touchdowns. But it is always nice to have kind of a bell cow running back that you can lean on, give all the carries to, and just feel comfortable that he's going to be able to do his job. I don't think it's his fault or any running back's fault on this team that we're not getting a ton of yards rushing. And so him being able to take the majority of the carries when we are running the ball and be able to take all those hits is a valuable aspect of just kind of eating carries and keeping other guys healthy so that you only have to use one running back to take all those hits. So I wanted to give Aiden Robbins a shout out for just his performance, even though it might've been a little lackluster, he's playing well and he's doing the best that he can in this system. Absolutely. And piggybacking off of that point that you made, you know, we had 26 plays that were rushing plays. He had 17 carries out of those 26 plays. So he really was the one eating all of those snaps, getting all of those reps. Dion only had one. Miles Davis only had one. Keelan had a couple just off sweeps, but Aiden really was our workhorse this past week. So he does absolutely deserve that love, especially stepping up when LJ Martin was out hurt. Um, the, the player that I do think we both agree, though, deserves offensive player of the game entirely is Darius Lassiter. You know, even with a game where our passing game is struggling and our offense is struggling in general, Darius still had five receptions for 75 yards, which is a good stat line against almost any team, especially a good defense like Texas. He had his longest pass or his longest reception was for 47 yards. And he had the highlight play. I believe that it was this play, actually, the 47 yarder where it was a deep pass to him, and he absolutely mossed two defenders. He got up, caught it over the head of one of the defenders behind his helmet, and just completely owned those defensive backs. So that was a super cool play to see. Man, Darius is always making crazy catches, it seems, like this past few weeks. So it was super fun seeing that catch. You know, it's sad to me that we didn't win, just because I would have loved to see that replay in the cut and we don't get the cut if we don't win. So, you know, maybe we'll try to tweet out at the BYU creative staff about getting the cinematic edit of that specific play, get that replay of it. But, you know, it was such a good play. He, he really did have a good game and it was fun watching him find that success. And hopefully he's able to continue fighting that, finding that success throughout the rest of the season and his, you know, stint here at BYU. All right. And with all that said, we are moving on to next week. We have West Virginia coming up on this Saturday. We have a 5 p.m. Mountain kickoff time on Fox. We got bumped up because the World Series ended a little bit early. And one thing to note about the 5 p.m. kickoff, with it being in West Virginia, local kickoff time is 7 p.m. And just going back to the Vampire Cougs, sunset in West Virginia is at 6.30 p.m. So, This entire game is going to be at night. Just saying. Uh, Our jerseys for this week, we're wearing all white with royal trim and a royal face mask. It's a clean look. I love the all white looks. I'm very excited. I believe West Virginia is going all blue, so that's going to be a fun light versus dark kind of game there. A little bit about West Virginia. West Virginia here is 5-3. They're coming off a win against UCF, but before that, they had two straight losses to both Oklahoma State and Houston. 
So they were kind of reeling a little bit from that, but had a pretty convincing win over UCF here. So it'll be interesting to see what West Virginia team we get here this week. They've beat Texas Tech, they've beat TCU, but then the losses to Houston, Oklahoma State, and a big loss to Penn State at the start of the year. They're still kind of trying to find their identity there. So uh, they, they do have big wins. They do have some losses that are a little bit worse. I guess you can't call OK State and Penn State bad losses, but losing to Houston this year is a little bit tough. So we will see exactly what West Virginia we get. Uh, Dylan, going to you, do you have any specific players or specific things about West Virginia that you like, don't like? How do we match up well with them there? Yeah, this this one is kind of tricky for me because as you and I actually talked about before we started recording, this West Virginia team is a little bit confusing. But one player that I have actually noticed just this season already, I have watched West Virginia's game somewhat as much as possible just because I wasn't as familiar with them and I wanted to become familiar with them. But one player that's always stood out to me, I've talked about him before with you, with our friends, and that's their quarterback, Garrett Green. Garrett is one of those dudes who just, he's very smart. He might not be the best athlete on the field. He might not be the absolute fastest guy. He is a good athlete. He is athletic, but not to the extent of some guys we see on the field at times. But what he does is he makes really, really good decisions. He takes care of the ball really well. He only has two interceptions all season. And, you know, even more so, even more than being a good passer, he is very heavily involved in their running offense. He is the second leading rusher this season with 404 yards. But what stands out to me is he also has eight rushing touchdowns alone. So he is very involved in their running offense. You know, it almost makes me think of, I'm kind of hesitant to make this comparison, but he is kind of similar to almost a less athletic Jalen Daniels that we faced off against Kansas. He just is really smart with his reads. He knows how to make moves in the open field, and he's also just very strong. He's not afraid to plow over guys. He's not one of those guys that is going to just slide very easily. You you are going to need to hit him a lot of times to get him to go down, so that's that's the big player that stands out to me is their quarterback Garrett Green and in in an offense that does struggle at times similar to us he is definitely a bright spot for them so I I think he is going to have a very big impact on this game this week yeah it'll be really interesting to see how the defense kind of adapts to that and exactly what he's going to get going there uh, one thing about West Virginia is that they have a very balanced attack rushing and passing they average just about 200 yards against each but there is kind of a little caveat to that. They did have an FCS game earlier in the season where they racked up 600, 700 yards in that game, which do kind of offset the stats a little bit. A lot of it's closer to being about 160 yards of each per game. So you can expect a pretty balanced attack from West Virginia, but the overall yards gained, they are a lot more similar to BYU in FBS games than we think. And so it'll be interesting to see which side of the ball kind of takes over for West Virginia or if they lean heavily on both the entire time. So Garrett Green is going to be a big part of both of those both of those aspects of the game. And it'll be exciting to see what BYU can hold him to and where he kind of takes advantage a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to me, if I were West Virginia personally, I would actually probably lean into that rushing offense a little bit because alongside Garrett Green at quarterback, they also have their leading rusher and running back C.J. Donaldson Jr. 
he has 474 yards and seven touchdowns this season. So he's no joke either. He's a great running back. So they, they do have a very lethal running attack that I think they could take advantage of. But as you said, it'll be very interesting to see what they actually lean into here because BYU has found some success stopping some running offenses this season, like against Texas Tech with Taj Brooks, like with specifically Jonathan Brooks at Texas. We held him under 100 yards. So it'll be interesting to see which direction they go. But also flipping to the other side of the ball on defense, one specific player that I do want to point out for West Virginia, and I'm going to butcher this name, I know I will, but it's linebacker Lee Hogba. He has almost 60 tackles. He has 59 tackles this season, two sacks. But what doesn't show on paper is really just the defensive leader he is. He's a very experienced linebacker for this West Virginia defense. He's, you know, a big energy guy. He brings a lot to their defense, a lot of depth there in terms of, you know, motivation, getting his dudes locked in. He's just that overall leader that defense is really rely on so he's a big guy that i want to point out for this west virginia defense specifically yeah and i have one player on the west virginia defense i wanted to shout out as well a defensive back defensive back beanie bishop jr leads the ncaa in passes defended this year with 12. the guy in third place has eight and so he is miles ahead of the rest of the competition in terms of passes defended so it would be interesting to see if we try him at all or if He's just going to kind of be left on his own island doing his own thing, not getting targets this week. But that was one stat that I saw in looking this team up that I thought was pretty interesting there. Uh, in general, on the West Virginia defense, I did have some stats that I wanted to go over a little bit in terms of things like yards allowed and kind of third down, fourth down conversions, things like that. They are very middle of the pack. They're sitting right at around 60 to 65th in FBS and all of those. One thing, one random thing that they excel at is a special teams. They have three blocked kicks on the year. The NCAA lead is four, and so they're tied for fourth place with three blocked kicks. That's one thing that they do really good at. And another thing that I noticed they do really good at is time of possession. West Virginia is currently fourth in the country in time of possession, and BYU is pretty much on the opposite end, exactly inverse of them. And we are not great at time of possession. So I would expect this game to come out somewhere around West Virginia having the ball for 35 minutes, us 25. But our defense is going to be on the field a lot. And so our offense needs to be able to take advantage of the West Virginia defense whenever possible. So our possessions will likely be limited this week. And so West Virginia, their offense can stay on the field. Their defense can get them off the field. We have to do everything we can to kind of flip that script keep our offense on the field and keep our defense rested, which we have not been able to do very well this year. It's going to be interesting to see how we perform doing that this week. And that's kind of a perfect segue into talking a little bit about what to expect this week for BYU. And this is actually something that I wanted to specifically talk about because there is a lot of rumor going around about it. There already was a lot of debate about changes that our offense might need this next week. And there is actually a tweet going around today talking about, you know, Jake Retzlaff starting this week over Keaton Slovis. And so I do want to take a second to address these tweets. Um, without going into too much depth or giving away too much, we did confirm with a source that we have that's involved within the program, they are planning on starting Jake Retzlaff this week at quarterback. 
Um, the interesting thing is actually all week, Cade Finnegan actually took the QB two snaps with the second team offense. So I do not expect us to really see Keaton Slovis this week, whether that's because of performance or injury. I have no confirmation on that aspect of it, but we do know he did get banged up a little bit earlier this season. He has been underperforming and you know, Kalani, though, has mentioned specifically he doesn't think all of this, you know, failure on offense relies specifically on the quarterback. So I am not 100% sure on the entire reasoning, but BYU fans can expect to see Jake starting at the quarterback position. And that is going to change quite a few things, I think, for us this week. There's a good chance it changes some things here. Um, also something for BYU fans to be aware of that we also heard from the same source that we're not going to really go into much more depth in is just expect a lot of people listed on the injury report this week. There are quite a few guys that are injured that I don't think fans even expect to be on the injury report this week. I, there are guys that haven't really been made public that are hurt right now. So expect quite a few guys on the injury report injury report for BYU this week and on that same end expect a lot of play from young guys who can now play but still have their red shirt you know expect a lot from Jojo Phillips the freshman receiver maybe we'll see some of Jackson Bowers the freshman tight end just dudes who can now get their shot at getting some good reps in while also maintaining their red shirt so that's kind of the big update that we really wanted to give here is we could see a fairly different BYU team on the field this week, especially at offense with Jake Retzlaff starting for the offense. Now I'm curious, Chris, in your mind, what all does this change for our offense with these personnel changes, with injury, with performance, just overall, what changes do you expect to see because of this? Yeah, I'm honestly kind of excited to see exactly what Jake Retzlaff could do. Just going over him a little bit, he was a transfer from River City, uh, Riverside City College. It was a junior college there. He was the ranked number one quarterback in ESPN's junior college list. So he is no slouch. I was looking at his stats here. He threw for 4,500 yards in 13 games played, averaged about 350 yards passing per game. One really cool stat that I noticed from him, he had five games where he threw for five or more touchdowns in his last season there. And so he can sling the ball around. He can throw the ball pretty well. He ran a few times. He ran about uh, maybe seven times per game there. And so he can take off a little bit. He's not much of a rushing quarterback, but he does use his legs to get out of the pocket. But I do hope that BYU keeps the offense open and lets him throw the ball around. He is a good passing quarterback. He's able to make throws. He's able to throw for a lot of yards, throw for touchdowns. And he could bring a spark to this passing offense that we have not seen yet. And so I'm excited to see exactly what he can do. I hope I hope we don't try and just stick with the running game because we all know that that's not going to go over very well if we're trying to set up the pass using the run for him there. And so I hope they just kind of let him sling it, let him do his thing, and just see exactly what we can get from him there. And other things, I am excited to see some of the guys that are redshirting that are good players that we were just waiting to see for a couple years who needed time back from missions or things like that. We do have guys. I'm excited to see Jojo Phillips a little bit at the wide receiver room. If he plays maybe Jackson Bowers at tight end, things like that. We have good players and this is going to test our depth a lot with people being injured and not being able to play. It's going to be on the backups to step up, to lean on their preparation, to be able to know the scheme on offense and defense and to be able to execute their assignment. 
at the end of the day, if you execute your assignment, that's all that can be asked of you. And just being able to know the offense, run the offense, know the defense, things like that. It will be a good week for these players who have been preparing the entire season. And at the end of the day, we could find some hidden gems. We could find players that aren't quite ready yet, but it will be exciting to see some new faces all around. This has kind of been a hot topic for BYU fans as of late. It's caused actually a lot of division between fans of people saying we should just give Red Slaff his chance, see what he can do. A lot of fans saying he doesn't give us our best shot at winning, you know, specifically saying, why would we put in a guy when we're trying to make a bowl game still? And then, you know, there's, there's the side of it that I think I have, at least, I think you might have it as well, Chris, but you know, maybe Jake Redslaff gives us a better chance at getting that bowl game. You know, putting him in at quarterback isn't us throwing in the towel. Maybe it's us saying, you know what, we think we might have a better shot at putting him in now. I mean, yeah, this last game was against a top 10 team. I don't want to undersell that at all. But Keenan Slovis had three turnovers, and essentially those turnovers were big difference makers in this game. Two of them specifically after our defense forced turnovers from Texas, he turned the ball right over back to them. So I am curious to see how much of an impact Jake can make in at least that aspect of taking care of the football because it has become somewhat of a problem this season, which is a little bit surprising in this offense that A-Rod runs where it focuses a lot on taking care of the ball. So, you know, I think it will be for sure interesting to see how Jake Retzlaff plays you know, as you mentioned, he's not necessarily a dual threat quarterback, but I personally believe that he is more of a running threat than Keaton ever was, which is why I do think it is worth giving him a shot. He's been chomping at the bit. He's been getting ready to go. Why not give our potential future guy some reps here? Why not give him that experience and set up our future for success while at the same time still competing for a bowl game? So I'm excited with this. But I do also want to add in here, even though I've been one of the people saying we should give him a chance over Keaton, I also want to emphasize that this does not at all mean that I was rooting for Keaton's failure. I, I tweeted about this earlier, just over the weekend after the BYU-Texas matchup. I, I don't care who is playing quarterback for BYU. I'm going to root for whoever is on the field when it comes to Saturday. So if it was Keaton... I would just want Keaton to succeed. I wouldn't be hoping for his downfall just to prove any point I have right, just to give Jake a chance here. And at the same point, Jake's on the field. I'm rooting for him to have success. I don't care who is that quarterback on the field. It could be Nick Billups. It could be Cade Finnegan. I'm going to be rooting for them no matter what. We saw it with the bowl game last year. We had Soljay on the field. doesn't matter. I'm going to be rooting them on, wanting them to find success. And I, I really do have some hope here that Jake could be that spark, as you said, for our offense, that you know, little change that's made here that can make a big difference, maybe just from a momentum or mental standpoint. Having just some little change here that could potentially help our offense is honestly what's kind of been needed in my opinion, and so I'm excited to see how that can really help our offense here. And you know, to the point you made, you know, we don't want to see our offense go out there and just play scared because we have him starting this week. We want to open up the playbook for him and get him comfortable. But to, to that same point, knowing the offense that we do run, especially this season, I will say I'm not going to be surprised if we do try to force the run game a little bit, at least at the start of the game. 
really just try to get him comfortable behind the center, get him comfortable with this offensive line, get kind of the first start jitters out of him with some good running plays. And then hopefully that opens it up a little bit more for him just to sling the ball because he, he really is a good passing quarterback. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in this offense that seems to rely on passing a lot more this season. So it'll be interesting for sure, to say the least, to see how this all goes. Like you said, I want to emphasize that I'm feeling the same way. I am just excited. This is a really big opportunity for a lot of our young guys. It's a good opportunity to get a look at the potential future of our program. We have other quarterbacks who are coming in, other commits, but Jake Retzlaff is here now. So let's see what we can get going with him. Let's see what success we can find. Worst case scenario, we don't find success with him. We have to shift around again, but we already needed that shift here. So I'm just fine with that, and I'm excited to see where this all goes. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. It could go a whole lot of different ways, and we hope it's the positive one. Uh, Switching over to the other side of the ball, I wanted to talk about the defense a little bit here. The defense is going to need to step up. West Virginia, like I said, owns time of possession in college football. The defense needs to be able to force them to get off the field and give the offense as many chances as possible. We need to be able to create at least a few turnovers, give the offense some short fields to work with, and really help them out as much as they can, which they have been doing all year long, but we're going to need it extra this week because West Virginia's offense is no joke. The balanced offense is very hard to stop in college football, and they have playmakers on pretty much every facet of the game that can do things. And so I would expect BYU's defense to be hungry for turnovers and to be looking to create opportunities to give the offense short fields there. On the same point, you know, West Virginia, even if they do rely on the run game, which I personally think they very well could this week, they do have quite a few fumbles. I think they've lost six fumbles total this season. With a defense that has shown they can force turnovers, I agree that's going to be huge here, them really causing that chaotic football, especially because we don't want to throw Jake into some situations where in his first start he's having to play from behind. So really it is it is going to really come down to our defense stepping up and making this game a little bit easier for our offense because we need that support there. So so that's 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 one of the big things. I just want to add an emphasis there on what you just said there, that defense – Our defense has shown they can do it. We need them to show it again this week. One other topic that I did want to touch on here real fast was our special team specifically. We've we've now allowed multiple punt return touchdowns this season, which is crazy when we have a punter who can kick it as far as Ryan Rico. But Chris, I've actually heard you give a pretty good explanation of why this is and what you'd like to see different here. So How can we prevent those long returns on our punt coverage specifically? Yeah, so this is a kind of interesting one. It's actually something that gets talked about in terms of NFL punters, which is why it got brought up. You mentioned that Ryan Rico's punt average on the year is greater than the NFL's number one punter this year, which sounds incredible. Obviously, you want to flip the field position and do all of that. But the cost comes at the net yards after return. And so if you're punting the ball 70 yards down the field, your gunners can't cover the punt returner in that amount of time. And so if he's able to catch the ball, get into open space, typically teams will have their shiftiest, fastest guy at punt returner that can make guys miss in the open field. And they're getting enough chances to do that. 
And so BYU's punt coverage in terms of angles and pursuit and things like that has not been great this year. And when you're not directly on the punt returner as he's catching the ball, forcing a fair catch or hitting him the second he catches it, they're going to have room to run and be able to make moves on your guys, which we saw against Arkansas and we saw this week against Texas. And so one thing that BYU could do is maybe try and dial down the depth or the distance of the punt and let the guys get there or keep the punts toward the sideline and use the sideline as extra defenders to be able to force the punt returner one way or the other. And this is all kind of, it's a little bit hard. Punters do have limited control over exactly where the ball ends up. But with BYU's punt coverage not being great, we do need to focus on not outkicking our coverage. And I don't think that one against Texas was bad as much on this, but they still give him enough room to run. And that's where the punt returns are coming from. So, I do think the total yards on the punt would come down a little bit, but the net yards after return would be a lot better. But we've we've spent a lot of time talking a lot about what it'll take to beat West Virginia, what to expect from BYU, all these fun things. It should be a good game. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure what exactly to expect, so it should be a good one. But let's segue from this into our predictions for this week. So as always, we're going to predict a final score offensive player of the game and defensive player of the game, and then have a hot take. So I'll go ahead and start with mine. Uh, My final score prediction, I think BYU is going to win this game, actually. This is a little bit of a biased homer take here, I guess, but I'm I'm completely bought in on the idea of what's going to happen this week. But I do think BYU wins 24 to 21. It's going to be a very close one. If we do want a shot at this game, we got to keep that offense off the field and low scoring for West Virginia. So if we hold them to 21 points, I think we do give our team a good shot at winning this, especially if we can cause turnovers and field position or and get good field position for our offense. My offensive player of the game prediction, again, this might be a little bit of a hot take or a biased take, but I'm just going to go with Jake Retzlaff. I think if we want a shot in this game, he's got to step up, be that spark that we need. And I think that he has the skill set to do it. You know, I do think that even though he came from a Juco, I think his film has shown that he can play. He can play really well. And at a position like quarterback, the the skill difference between Juco and Division One football is there for sure. But the quarterback decision-making still has to be very good to succeed even in junior college. So, It should be good to see, and I am going to predict that he's our offensive player of the game. Defensive player of the game, I'm actually going to go with a guy that has had a quiet past couple of weeks. He's still at the top of our stat sheets, but he's not our leading tackler every game like he was before specifically. I'm going to say it's going to be A.J. Vongwichan. I think he's going to be our leading tackler this game. I think he's going to play a big role in containing the running offense, especially containing Garrett Green. So I'm going to expect him to play a similar role that he did against Arkansas here. And I think he has a great game to take that defensive player of the game. And then my hot take is I think in Jake's first start, he's going to have over 250 passing yards. And I also think he's going to have at least two passing touchdowns. That's a hot take with this offense, especially, but I think he has a skill set to do it. As you said, He had a lot of yards and a lot of passing touchdowns in junior college. I would love to see that this game. And, you know, that's kind of the hot take that he's that missing piece for our offense here. And we'll we'll see if that comes true. But I'm curious to hear 
your predictions and what you think might happen this week, Chris. Yeah, so I keep trying to convince myself that BYU is going to win and that the Night Cougs are going to take over, but I don't really see it happening this week. My final score prediction is going to be West Virginia 34 to BYU 28. I think we keep it close. I think the offense does figure some things out, but I think we're looking at a lot to overcome this week in terms of injuries, new quarterback, and all sorts of things like that. West Virginia is a good team with a good offense. Ours is struggling a little bit, so... I do. I could see it going the other way. Like I said, BYU could figure it out, and our defense could have a great game. But I think in general, I'm going to go West Virginia by six here. Uh, my BYU offensive player of the game, I think I'm going to give it to Aiden Robbins. I think he's going to have kind of a breakout game. I think he's going to get on the board at least once, maybe twice. I think he's going to have over 80 rushing yards. And it's kind of it's it's an okay day. It's a pretty good day for running back, but especially good for a BYU running back. So I could see that happening there. Uh, My defensive player of the game, I'm going to give it to Jacob Robinson. He started out the year super hot, getting all his interceptions, had a pretty rough game against TCU, and then kind of bounced back last week with a good performance. Great tackle on the fourth down stop, like we mentioned earlier. I think here's another mini hot take. I think he's going to be involved in or responsible for two turnovers this week. And that leads into my main hot take, which is that the BYU defense will force at the very least three turnovers this week. I think we're going to give the offense a great chance to have great field position on a few drives, be able to get stops like that. And I'll add that I think we'll we'll get a fourth down stop as well. So three turnovers and a fourth down stop in this game for the defense. Well, that would be huge too, because West Virginia actually does have a pretty good fourth down percentage or fourth down conversion percentage. I think it's about just over 50% on the season. Their third down is just above 40%-ish. I'm kind of guessing here, but that would be huge, and I would love to see that. So, you know, I I do agree there. If we have a shot, it's going to come from our defense for the most part. But, you know, as, as you mentioned, I would love to get our offense rolling, especially with that running game, especially with having a quarterback in his first start. So, would love if all of those took place. Should be a good game. You know, either way, no matter how it goes, we are going to learn about this team quite a lot from this week with all of the injuries that we have, with those different personnel changes we're going to have. We're going to get a good glimpse at what team we're going to have for the rest of the season, I think, and what we can expect going into these last few games. Now, we are nearing the end of our episode, but before we wrap up, we do, of course, want to make sure we go over what we always go over each week, and that is some games outside of the BYU game. So last week, some games specifically to point out that were some great games for BYU fans and just for college football in general. We had Kansas upsetting Oklahoma. That was a good game. Super fun to watch. We had Arizona beating Oregon State. That was another upset Oregon State got beat out by, I believe he's a freshman quarterback in Fafita for Arizona. And then I also want to point out Arizona State figuring things out a little bit as of late. They're starting to get rolling here as a team. They almost lost to to Southern Utah to SUU, but this week they figured things out and beat Washington State. So that's going to be big for them rolling into this week's matchup. I believe they're against Utah actually. So that was a fun game to watch. Arizona State starting to figure things out a little bit here. They're relying a lot on their running offense, actually, and it's been pretty fun to watch. So they're a fun team to watch. Um, Chris, what what were your favorite games from this past week? Yeah, you mentioned a couple good ones there, that Arizona-Oregon State game. I was watching that at the gym late night, Pac-12. It was fun to 
have that on the TV there. Selfishly, I liked the Utah-Oregon game. It wasn't a great game, like football objective score-watching-wise, but I enjoyed watching it a lot, so there's that. And one other game, a kind of random game, but it was the Penn State-Indiana game. As a kind of not really Penn State fan, but like a person who follows Penn State a little bit, I was watching that game pretty closely. It was tied for a lot of it. Penn State goes down, scores a touchdown, and then forces a 25-yard safety in order to seal the win. So a little bit of a weird ending to that game, but that was a pretty fun game overall. So those are some of my highlights of last week. Love it. And as you pointed out, you know, the Utah-Oregon game wasn't the prettiest in terms of good football being played for one of those teams, but it always does make our loss feel a little bit better when our rival loses by the exact same score. So that was another one that I love that you pointed out there. Moving on to this week, we do have some good ranked matchups. You know, I do want to point out two specifically, or maybe I'll do three con- counting one that has actually happened by the time this is posted. Um, the first game that I want to point out is actually being played right now as we are speaking. It's one that holds a lot of interest for me and probably a lot of BYU fans. Um, tonight, Thursday night, 5 p.m. kickoff, we have TCU at Texas Tech. Currently, as we speak, Tech is up 17-7 to over TCU. Um, should be an interesting game. See how it plays out at the end of it. You'll probably know by the time this is posted, but it is one that I want to call out here because it's one that I actually have pulled up on my phone, and it's a pretty good game, so hopefully you were able to catch that one. A couple other games that I do want to point out, though, that should be good matchups for this week. First of all, one that BYU fans are going to be fairly intrigued by that I'm intrigued by is going to be Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's offense specifically is rolling here. They've got their momentum. See if they can hand Oklahoma another loss after Kansas was able to do so last week. Another matchup I'm super excited to watch myself is going to be number 23, Kansas State, at number 7, Texas. See if Texas can keep things rolling after their win against us last week. See if Kansas State can get some momentum going and get the upset over a top 10 team top 10 team in Texas. So those are two games I personally am looking forward to for this upcoming week. Chris, which games are you going to be watching? Yeah, I'm just going to go over two ranked matchups really quick. The first one being 13 LSU at number eight, Alabama. Both teams this year are good to great teams, but not elite. And so it's kind of fun that their meeting is kind of top 10-ish teams as opposed to top five teams. And I do think LSU has a pretty good shot to go into Alabama and beat them again like they did a couple years ago. So that'll be a fun one to watch. That's in the evening. And there's one game at 1.30 that I really want to watch. That is Missouri at Georgia. Missouri this year has looked very good. They've beat teams like Kentucky. Their one loss is to LSU in kind of a shootout there. And so I think that they're a good matchup for Georgia. I think that they're going to play them tight, play them well, and I could see them coming away with a victory. I don't expect it to happen, but I will be following along. So I think that is potential for an upset there. And that's, that's one of those games that I think a lot of people are going to be interested to watch because any chance you have to see a top three team, a top four team playoff team lose, you want to make sure you watch that and see that because that is one of the craziest things that happens in college football. And everybody loves to be able to say that they watch that game live. So Love that matchup. That should be a good one. But overall, we got a good slate of games coming up here for college football. Should be a good week. Hoping for a good bounce back week for BYU. 
Like we said, though, should be interesting how that game plays, plays out against West Virginia with all the injuries we have with the new starting quarterback. So we're excited to see how it all goes. Wishing for the best for our Cougs as always. But Chris, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap up? Go Cougs. Absolutely. It's always go Cougs from us here at the Cougar Talk podcast. Make sure you enjoy the football this week. Hope to come back next week after a BYU win. Make sure you tune in next week for our preview of the Iowa State matchup. Also, make sure you follow us on our social medias. It's at Coog Talk Podcast on both Twitter and on Instagram. And also make sure you check out our website, CougarTalkPodcast.com, to see all of our links from there. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. This was the Cougar Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening.